Good evening, Patriots, and it is Tuesday, August 30th, unless you're on the East Coast and then you're already into the 31st. I'm going to tell you that was a wild start. I just rolled in to a nice little town in Arkansas and just had about enough time to set it up, and the mixer board that I used literally died. And of all the times to have a backup mixer board with me, well, I had one. <laughs> and so I haven't even set it up yet, so I'm racing to get this thing working and configure it in about 10 minutes, which is not easy. But anyway, accomplished mission, good. We're on air, and that's all that really matters right now. Before we begin, make sure you're checking out the best regular to drink coffee on the market for the best price. That's mycoffee.com. You're going to find that at mystore.com forward slash bards mystore.com forward slash bards. And you can hear a great little message about that from Mike Lindell right here. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. When I tried My Coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It's the best coffee I've ever had in my life. And it starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. They have the perfect climate for growing coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Each batch is tested to meet the highest industry standards and all the production's done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee delivered right to your front door. And you can get them ground or whole bean or in the single serve coffee pods. Plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. And I guarantee it'll be the richest, smoothest, best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen now Use your promo code and I'll get you my coffee for 25% off. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. So please order now. That's mystore.com forward slash bards. And your promo code is bards. If you didn't know that, that's B-A-R-D-S. And that's a shocker. You only hear it about every night. Just thought I'd throw that one in there just to remind you. So it's been quite an amazing last few days and... I'm just going to kind of roll through this and this sense of this journey that I'm on here, which is literally a Paul Revere ride with God at the wheel. And it's, it's really quite amazing as things start to come together. Over the weekend, I had a chance to go to Friday night to Ted Nugent's concert as a guest of Ted and Shemaine behind the scenes VIP. And then on Saturday, I was their guest as I flew with the family from Waco over to Fredericksburg. And we went to Ted's final concert, which was amazing. And I had a really nice meeting on Sunday with 
the kilted Christian Duncan in Waco and Shemaine joined us. So we had a great day just talking and kind of just going over just life in general. And then on last night, I uh, was invited over to the Nugent's house for dinner. And just a, a really casual and enjoyable time to just sit down and talk about life in general and see the the Nugent Ranch, which is beautiful, and all the wildlife that they take care of and manage in what is essentially a, a wildlife preserve and game reserve of their own. I think the biggest thing that stands out is the one of the perceptions we have of people in the public eye. There is the Ted Nugent rock and roller, and he's really has a he's been consistent over his entire career with his message of honesty and truth. And though I think at times people don't like the delivery, we're in kind of this strange point right now that people are more concerned about a swear word than literally hearing truth or even worse. There's a bunch of people that are going to be more offended by a, a swear word than worried about taking a vax or having a pastor become gay or something in a church, which is another real story going on in the Methodist church system, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But what's really amazing is when you start to get to know people, and it's just a good reminder if we take time to get to know people and we get to know where their passions are. And the Nugents as a family are just really amazing and very influential in, their, in the space that they've been in and have really been pounding that message of liberty and freedom and standing up, which is so important in where we are right now. Now, I've had this, like I said, it's just a, a really a great God journey here. I mean, everything is kind of just continues to line up and bump into each other the way it needs to line up. Uh, and it, with that, as I've told you, there's, I'm, I've got a couple of things. I have this five-point message, which I'm sharing. And it's an opportunity to move across country and kind of see how things are going. And then I've also been delivering. I've got 12 Bibles with 12 names on them. And then there was, I would say, 12 plus one. There was one extra that was in the batch that I knew that would be found. So, it, And it, it, it has been. So, I mean, the the... First four Bibles were delivered in Springfield, which was a week over a week ago on the weekend of the 20th and 21st. Dr. Eric Naputi, Mike Lindell, Matt Thayer, and Dr. Frank. I mean, these are all people that have really pushed in and, and done a lot for leading and fighting for this. And, and Matt Thayer is probably one of the, Matt Thayer and, and Dr. Frank are probably the two that are least known for the amount of work that they've been doing and influence. And it's really, really refreshing. I've had a couple conversations with Matt since then. And really you can see the impact of this. I mean, there's, it's one thing to give somebody a Bible, which I gladly will do, but these are pretty special because most of these names in one way or another, all of these names in one way or another are coming through what God wants on this trip. And that's for, that is part of this trip, a very integral part of this trip of how it's growing. And so the other, the fifth Bible was given to Ted, Uncle Ted. And I, I will tell you, it's, it was a very heartfelt reception of that. We had a very good conversation and he, he really received it as, as was it, as what it is. It was, it's a gift with that God wanted him to have, and it was beautiful to witness it. But the unexpected was uh, Shemaine's son, Rocco, who is an unbelievably talented young man, and he's starting to really reach out into his own, uh, on his own. And, and I, I will say this, I mean, it's not an easy thing when you're a son of somebody like Ted Nugent. He, he casts a big shadow in a good way. And Rocco's finding his way. And I will tell you, it's just, it was really amazing to watch. We have, were having some great conversations, and I presented that to him at, after dinner. And to just see somebody take it in so well. I mean, both Ted and he both took it in 
beautifully. Rocco, I mean, opened it up, opened the Bible up immediately. These are Founders Bibles, Heritage Edition, Leather Edition, beautiful Bibles that I got from Brad Cummings, Pastor Brad Cummings. And to watch a young man open that Bible up and just start reading right away, it just sucked him in. And it's beautiful to witness. I mean, these, this is kind of the whole part of this process, which has been great. And so I've ended up today in Arkansas, which I've never been to Arkansas. I drove through Little Rock. Fortunately, didn't get Clinton sighted or something. Little Rock's a big city with a lot of road construction, which I mean a lot. It's almost like crazy driving at night. But it's a, there's some beautiful countryside here. I've never been to Arkansas. So this is going to be a nice next couple of days as I move through this state and kind of see what's going on in another part of the country. That It's one of the few states I haven't visited. And so I'm looking forward to that. And there's a lot of whole direction and the way God's leading this overall, like I say. It, I mean, like I've said, this is really kind of as I've, as it's ended up being named for me, it's like the, the Paul Revere ride for God. And with that, there's the five things that I'm, that message I'm just kind of pounding home. I'm pounding it home to myself every day. I'm pounding it home and, and with everybody I encounter, which I think is a critical time. There is no question that we're all being called. And it's interesting as I've had these conversations with different people, how they're all hearing and we're all hearing the same thing. That's God's hand. And we're hearing similar types of things and they'll, someone will say, well, hey, I, I just had a conversation with somebody about this and I'm like, you're kidding. I mean, I just literally had that conversation an hour ago and it's that sort of, or a day ago. And, and that's pretty amazing in itself. So as I've laid out these five points, I mean, the top of the one on the top is what I wrote as in my notes, get right with Christ, which is literally, you must be able to hear his voice and have a heart to follow Accept Christ into your heart. Purify your walk with him. Learn to hear him. Come to know him. There is no us or them in, in or out. It's a call to all. Every single person responding needs to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them and know and know it because the relationship is real and two-way. It's the only way that we are going to get are going to be able to navigate through this difficult times ahead. There is there is definitely some real challenges ahead. And I think that's the one thing that consistently as I'm looking at this, I'm driving across the country and I'm this is one of these very interesting trips that I'm taking I'm relaxed and enjoying the, what I'm taking in, but this is what I'm seeing overall. I'm seeing a country that is moving and and working. I'm seeing people that are that are struggling to get by other and but everyone is that I've encountered is working hard. There's an there is a continued graciousness in the places I go, and that's traveled with me the entire trip from northwest to south. I'd expect it in the south, but it's been over. It's been everywhere. But the part that that overshadows all of this is how a small band of malicious trolls, a, a mob organization as in mafia has managed to seize control of the narrative to such a degree that it has convinced a country that it's defeated and that comes through just in the spark of people having to learn and even embrace the idea of defying there is a willful obedience to a corrupt federal government there is a willful obedience to the laws and rules as insane as they get, which have no logical sense. And there's an apprehension for people to come together and stand up, even though on a daily basis, people are working hard. The, the country is moving. There's an amazing amount of infrastructure. But there is overall a sense of defeat. And the defeat that kernel of defeat rests in the place of the willingness to stand and defy. And you have these conversations with various people and it's just like, Oh, I can't believe what the government's doing again. Well, why are they doing it? 
And the reason they're doing it is because we're allowing it. And the reason they're getting away with it is because we're being intimidated by their threats, their presence in body armor and guns. And it, it just has to stop because until, until the bully gets checked, the bully will continue. Goliath was the bully. David was that, uh, that person that checked the bully and put the bully in his place and ultimately destroyed the bully. And our government is the bully, and our state governments are the bully. And it's up to us to make that stand. I think that the problem, in my opinion, that so many have is that there's this sort of indoctrination of having to accept things and having to wait for a heavenly sign or having to wait for Christ to return to fix it. And worse yet is the narrative of, as I've talked before, when you have the revelation narrative, which there's those that follow that often will sit back and say, well, you know, Hey, it's the end of times. We're just going to have to wait till it pans out. I mean, this is not the way this is working. It needs to work. I mean, we need to be engaged and God works through us. But I think that's a, that message gets very convoluted and, with that, there is also this other message, which is extremely important, which is to appreciate that there is violence in both the spiritual realm and the physical realm in the war that we're in. And I, I think as in the followers of Christ don't like that idea of violence. And they point to many things selectively and cherry pick items to try to suggest that that wasn't true. And yet it it's not consistent with scripture and it's not consistent with Christ's walk. Flipping tables, challenging the Pharisees, even staying the hand of Peter, but with the preface that Christ could call upon legions of angels. I mean, this is the, the point is that there is the instrument of violence worked within the scripture to defeat, to confront and defeat evil. And that, that occurs both on a spiritual sense and a physical sense. And that word, again, makes people uncomfortable. But the fact is we're dealing with an enemy that has absolutely no problem of, ex- of exporting violence on us. And what's stunning is, the, is this sort of sense of, oh, I'm done. We're defeated. They're bigger than us. They have more guns than us. They, and all that's a lie. And here's the biggest lie of the whole thing. When we walk with Christ, we've already overcome We've been given dominion over all of this. That's the part that I, I, I've been circling through on this whole trip. And part of it, I think, is that we give too much time to their narrative and not enough time to ours. Our narrative is really not a difficult narrative at the end of the day. And, I, and I'm going to basically just say it in a couple different ways, but I think that In a very simple sense, if we put our eyes on Christ and we focus on Christ as a nation, and by this, we have the, this narrative will come in to say, well, we need to repent. Okay, well, but what are we talking about in repenting, truly? I mean, is repenting to forever be guilty and and put yourself groveling on the ground? Because I don't see that's the way Father wants us. Repenting is accepting where we have our sins, but at the same time, it's to stand up and to return to that throne through the process of accepting, embracing, honestly opening our heart to be forgiven for the sins. It's the return, not to stay down. And when we create this sort of dominance in, in attitude, where the enemy now has somehow dominated us, this fight doesn't last very long. You've heard me read this over and over over this last year, and I'm going to read it again. Luke 10, 19, Behold, I have given you the authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. I mean, there's not a whole lot more left there. And yet there's a willingness, I think, within faith for people to believe 
that somehow in this world we are going to be defeated or we're down or we're repressed, but it will be okay in heaven. That doesn't translate, at least not with me. And when I go around this country and I see how much activity, infrastructure, how expansive this country is, I'm telling you, just like take this ridiculous narrative of overpopulation or here's another one, bovine farts cause global warming and so we no longer can eat meat. I mean, those two narratives between human overpopulation and somehow the cows are affecting the destruction of the, of the atmosphere are about as dumb as they come when you drive this nation. I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, you drive along and we, you go through thousands of miles of open land. And so the two questions you ask are, why is it that we're somehow overpopulated? How is that even possible? And here's the second one, which is, I don't see enough cows on this entire trip to make enough gas to cause a global warming issue. But again, they're focused in on these things because they're trying to destroy freedom. They're trying to destroy your choice. They're trying to dictate what you're going to eat. And of course, what they're trying to direct you to is to eat some sort of processed protein, bug protein, or other garbage. It's all about dehumanizing us. And the willfulness of humanity to accept dehumanization is unbelievable to me. The thing that I think that people miss is that God is not, didn't sacrifice his son for a bunch of stupid sinners. And, I, and this narrative somehow is in this. It's woven into this, that we are a bunch of dumb sinners. We're, we are inferior as humans. We are always flawed. Here's the real of it. God sacrificed his son to preserve and save his greatest creation. Now, why is that so hard for us to get through? And if we understood that and embraced that narrative, we would be fighting viciously to protect this kingdom and to expand it. But instead, we are accepting this place where a group of retards that are really good at creating negative narratives are perpetually pushing this garbage into people's head and people are going, oh yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah, we're, we're the problem in the world. Um, yeah, we need to have less humans. Uh, we need to eat less meat. We need, we, need to do out, we need to just do away with ourselves. We need to pack ourselves into like sardines into the cities and, and we need to just listen and be obedient to whatever corporate tells us and whatever the government tells us because they know best. I mean, I don't really know how much dumber people can get than that. And I, I will tell you this. I mean, I, I, God did not put us here for us to waste away our life and our opportunity and his greatest creation because somebody who is truly hates his creation is telling us that we need to hate ourselves. That's effectively what's happening here. So that goes back to, again, to my point number one on my list. Get right with Christ. Because when you put Christ back in your life and you start to appreciate what was sacrificed and why, it's not just because we were sinners. It's because we were God's greatest creation. And he's doing that to bring us back to the throne so that we can have an opportunity to truly embrace our inheritance. And then when we repent, instead of groveling on the ground, we have to realize that we're children to God. And if we're going to be repenting and you want to have a visual of it, it's like the young boy who comes up to the father and he puts his hand into the, his father's hand and says, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go forward. And that's, when we get to that place and that humbleness and that humility like that, we start to realize where we are in the place of this world, in this universe. We're children. God's raising us. He's putting us through these fires. And we keep trying to see ourselves, I think, as like, well, we're great. To know. Well, we are, but we're still growing. And part of that is to learn courage and to learn fearlessness and to 
face these obstacles in life. But what God's told us all along is you're not going to face them alone. And yet, (laughs) we go out and we do dumb things and try to face them alone. And I just find this, as I'm driving along here, It's just, it's a very profound realization as I'm going across this nation. And I'm, of course, and actually, I'm having a lot of conversations. I'm having conversations with Jesus as I'm driving along. I'm having prayers with God. I'm, I'm, I'm having conversations with friends and pastors. And it's, it's just really amazing when you settle into the simple realities of where we are and how much God loves us, and how complicated and stupid we become when we try to implement it. So I had a conversation with a pastor I know today, and it was we were talking about the church structures. And I didn't realize this, but apparently the exodus from the Methodist corporation is on high, it's like it's on high octane right now one of the largest Methodist churches and church groups, congregations in Georgia has just told the Methodist group it is now leaving and they're buying out their church at $17 million. And that's interesting. And then this kind of comes in and the Southern Baptist Coalition had a meeting. Southern Baptist churches are set up differently they're individually owned and the Southern Baptist Coalition will give guidance, but people aren't, aren't required to follow that guidance. And where the Methodists, apparently, I'm just going by what I've been learning, are when it's given, the churches have to obey what's decided. So if you don't know, the Methodist church has decided that gay pastors is a good idea. And woke garbage is supposed to now be integrated into the church. So this is where you're seeing a lot of the exodus of the Methodists. Which is great news, by the way. And then you have the Southern Baptists that are whatever they put out, which I understand they too have tried to put out some of this woke garbage, but the churches aren't obliged to follow it. The churches are independent, and fortunately there's some great pastors out there that are basically telling them to go pound sand. And that's fantastic because it's speaking a lot to the congregations and it's speaking a lot to the pastors that are doing that. But this was one that struck me as just kind of mind-numbing. The, there's been this whole thing that came out a bit ago about the abuse in the, by the, some of the pastors in the Southern Baptist churches. Uh, and it's, we're talking pedophiles and exploitation of children, a few nice little darkness like that stuff that's equivalent to a millstone according to the Bible. But what I find amazing is that in the structure of the Southern Baptists, because they are not under one solid umbrella, apparently the pastors then who are doing this abuse, unless the church that fires the pastor tells the new church and he's going to what his what he did, these pedophiles can slip into another church and no one will know the better. This is worse than Catholics, I swear. Because Catholics, it's almost as bad, equally as bad, because the Catholic Church will take a priest, this diddling a kid, and then they'll just reassign him and kind of bury that, like, whoa, don't tell anybody that he's been abusing children. I'm sure he'll get better when he goes to a new parish, where, in a, in a sense, the, the Southern Baptists have had a similar problem because they're not communicating. So they actually are trying to come up with ways to overcome this. I, I mean, just that discussion drives me nuts. It's like, what in the world are we doing? A pedophile is a pedophile is a pedophile. It's pretty simple, millstone. And there's really no discussion about this. I mean, they, it's almost scarlet letter time, like branded on their forehead. And I, I just don't get this problem that we're having as a society of gripping the reality of this evil that we're facing. And that's another part that has been very evident as I've moved across the country is 
that there is a there is a is a resistance to, to want to face truth. There is a desire to want to get back to that good old easy American convenient way. That way is dead. And not enough people are willing to embrace that yet. And that pain that is that goes with it hasn't hasn't struck in yet. I think those that are truly awake and and truly anchored in that walk with Jesus are seeing it and realizing that not only is it dead, it has to be dead. We have to move away from it because we have been trapped and we have a profound choice. But there's a real resistance by many to want to hear that level of truth. And it all goes back to convenience where they want to feel comfortable and convenient in their world where life was easy. Fast food and McDonald's, Jack in the Box and Chick-fil-A. Just get what you need and move on. And that's where I think that we're going to, we're starting to see the signs of some real shakeups. The stock market is continuing to fall. The, the QR codes are starting to surface everywhere as they condition people to get them ready to move into the CBDC. Starbucks is going to go to cashless on the 1st of October. There's a lot of things gearing up and they're going to hit all at once and people are going to be caught off guard. And the problem is there's a large number of people that are going to be caught so off guard, they're going to just go along with it. And it's going to take a real defiant remnant to hold that line. And the only way we're going to get through this, again, is getting right with Christ. And other than that, there's no other way through. The second point that I've talked about is praying for Trump. Praying for President Trump. And it's not just praying for a president. I think this is where we get off track and why I'm, I talk about this one pretty extensively. President Trump has the ability, like few have ever had, to literally change the world in 265 characters. So I'm not praying for his for him to have a better golf game, nor am I praying for him to have another a better 265 character tweet or to be reinstated on Twitter or whatever. And I'm not praying for his success on Truth Social. And I'm not praying for him to have a another election where he wins. What this statement is, when we say pray for Trump, it is literally the fact that Father is looking for a leader to repent and accept Jesus. And I think that Trump, President Trump is right on the top of that list if he can hear it. But part of the obligation of us as members of a nation is that we're praying for that type of president. I'm not just praying like, oh, Mr. President, fix our problems. That doesn't work that way. And that's kind of a ridiculous thing. And I think we did that a lot as a nation when he was in the office, basically like, oh, are you going to fix this, Mr. President, or he's going to fix this, always one or the other. And there was a whole loss of what our personal and individual responsibility and accountability is. As virtue of him not being in office, people have finally started to awaken to that, to the fact that this fight is very real, very visceral, and it has to be at a local level to win. That's a county issue. And what we're facing here, it's coming at us like a freight train with 80 battalions of armed IRS agents and rogue ATF that are going door knocking and rogue FBI that have decided that they have greater authority than the Constitution and rogue judges and rogue hospitals and rogue CDC and health and human services. I mean, the list just goes on that unless we take a stand at a County level with the power of the sheriff and, and keeping them at bay, they will be in your house and we will see soldiers once again, living in people's homes in various forms. And the, which defies yet again, another amendment to our constitution because we're not taking the stand and we're not valuing what was given to us in the Declaration of Independence, which is we were given 
rights by God. And that has to mean something. Unfortunately, I think that that gets washed in with like all the rest of the laundry and they're just like, oh yeah, that, that thing called the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, it said something about us getting some rights. Yeah, it sure did. It was talking about us getting our sovereign rights from God. That God could not, only God could take them away unless we were foolish enough to hand them over. And as a nation, we've done a miraculous job of doing that a number of times since 9-11. So praying for President Trump is about praying for the president to become a president who loves Jesus and who will seek to lead the nation in that repentance to God to restore us to the throne and to restore his throne in this nation. And when we have a leader that does that, truly that's legacy and truly that is an impact that literally is game over for the cabal when that happens. The third point is first nations and last nations. And I I can tell you, just talking to people, there's a lot of eye rolling when I talk to Christians about this, and it pisses me off. And I think it's juvenile, and I think it's absolutely asinine that people aren't paying attention to what's going on in the First Nations. There is a ton of Jesus loving going on there. And I can tell you that firsthand, because I will tell you, when I got thrown in jail for 20 days, I will tell you the group that stood around me that brought me into their circle, that made sure I had a Bible, that talked to me at length, and we talked, had hours and hours of conversations about Christ, and it was the crow. Yep, First Nations folks, no one else did it. So there is a point where we have to start opening up our horizons to start realizing that God's not trying to look at just white Christian people to go to heaven. And it's amazing to me how much time we spend sending emissaries over to Africa. Always I hear this, well, this Africa's got the greatest potential. It's like, how about if we start worrying about our homeland? Like, how, why don't we start worrying about our inner cities? And why don't we start working with tribal nations? And why don't we start worrying about our home where we can start doing missions to really start bringing Christ into people's lives? That's what's important. And that's the principle ultimately behind first and last nations is we as a nation have to start healing ourselves and bringing ourselves to a unified position with Christ. And that's going to take some real work and it's going to take some real effort by people to set aside their biases because there's a ton of it going on. And it's not, it's uh, unbecoming is an understatement. And so that's part of this whole thing as a nation of us growing up. And really starting to realize how much we have as a nation to heal before we start telling the rest of the world what they need to do. But I will tell you that within the destruction of this corporate America, the corporate United States of America, we as a unified people have to stand And through that stand and that under that banner of Christ, we will become greater than we ever have. But it's going to, it's not just America first, it's Jesus first. Make God great again. And the willingness and desire is there, but we're going to have to all put aside some pretty big blood rifts that exist within us and biases that we've all been programmed to have. And it's not going to be easy, but that hard work is exactly what Jesus would expect of us. And when we do that, we start to really embrace the power of agape love. The fourth point is sowing seeds. And it is pretty amazing to see the number of people that are embracing gardening and embracing farming. It's wonderful to see because that physical action is also a spiritual action. And the physical action is equally a spiritual metaphor. But sowing seeds is, in the spiritual sense, is that engagement. Just like we reach into the soil and we put in seeds and we do it, if you're doing in starters, you're getting in starter trays and you're going to see who it comes up. There's a part of this that once the seed is put in the ground, we walk away. And we just kind of let it happen. And, and if 
some plants are going to always sprout up. You might end up with 24 out of 24 trays that are growing starters. And at the same time, you might end up with 12 out of 24. It's hard to say. But it's the point that we're sowing the seeds. And the physical part of that is to sow the seeds, actually to sow the seeds, to start taking accountability for the, one of the most fundamental issues we have in our life, which is what we put into our body temple, our food. But spiritual sense, it never stops. It isn't just on a Sunday. It's not on a Wednesday. It's every day. And it's every engagement and it's every moment. Because when walking with Christ, we don't know what, we're going, what impact we're going to have. And if we're constantly vigilant in the place of trying to bring that beauty of the love of Christ into people's lives and around us, even our presence has impact, an amazing impact. Of course, and the final thing is the nurturing of children and elderly. Man, if there's, two, if there's a war going on and a targeted group, it is those two, children and elderly right now. And these are times that we make big changes, big, big changes. It means accepting that our roles as adults is to manage our parents, to take care of them as they get older, as our role is as children to look to our parents to nurture us. In the end, we nurture them. And that's a big cultural and shift across the United States because this has become so convenient now to pass off our elderly, our parents, into homes and into internment camps. And that responsibility is passed off and replaced by the inconvenience that it puts on our life. So let's get rid of mom and dad and chuck them away into a home. Or let's put them in another apartment so we don't have to be near them and we'll just go over and visit them once in a while and just make sure hospice or a nurse is there to take care of them. I mean, this is the sort of attitude we've generated as a very commonplace in our culture. And we have to change it. And the most profound thing is if you go through these five and you really look at nurturing children, which is the critical, one of the critical parts of that is getting them out of public schools. And I will tell you this, that is one thing I have to say. I'm just amazed and it's beautiful to hear how many people are homeschooling these days. And it's wonderful. But we've got to bring that to the elderly as well. And we have to bring that to our parents and start taking that accountability and responsibility with them. Because that's when we grow some of the greatest, in the, some of the greatest ways possible. And it, it's a humbling experience. It's a challenging experience. And it's a beautiful experience to watch the gracious aging of the human body and, and what we are. And there's so much wisdom in that. But there's a good reason that they've targeted elderly and children. And they have. This has been an all-out war on them. So, I mean, we're at a point right now as a society that if we took these five things, getting right with Christ, praying for President Trump to be a repenting president, first healing First Nations and Last Nations, sowing seeds and nurturing children and elderly. If you really think about that, and we focus on those five things, and all of these things came from prayer. This nonsense we're dealing with, this country, this perspective, this moral bankruptcy that we're struggling with would literally dissipate overnight. And just so I say it, if when we say, can a nation, this is in Isaiah, can a nation be changed? It's, it's, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing completely, but a, a nation that has gone into sin, can a nation be saved? The answer is absolutely yes. And better yet, a nation that humbles itself before God can literally be transformed almost instantly. There's no time frame on that. God's capable of doing anything. But we as a nation have to believe. And so what we come back to in this whole circle of events is it the simple act of a nation humbling themselves before God and seeking repentance to restore our place near the throne. That simple act is so profound that everything and the challenge we face, all of these worries and horrors of the future, it all literally just goes away. 
and can go away in an instant. But we're still struggling so much with the difficulty of appreciating the power of God and truly what God is in our life. We're struggling with that. And I think that in my experience, in my encounters, we talk God, we talk Jesus, but to have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus and a intimate, real relationship with Father is still for many almost in the land of magic and mysticism. And yet, it's as real as ever. If we can step back and realize what that delivers into our world, we truly do regain dominion over all evil. And we start to live as we are intended to live, which is is royal blood. But we have to believe that, and we have to reach for it, and we have to start fighting for it. Because this group of people that hate us so much, they don't just hate us because we're God's children. They hate us because they know if we awaken to what I just said, they're done. They're waging a war on us because they know who we truly are. The craziest part about it is we've either forgotten or don't want to hear. And that stuns me. That's literally that guy that steps in the ring that is the most powerful fighter in the world. And a scrawny little kid comes up and defeats him because he didn't believe in himself and the gifts he was given. So the question is, are we going to fall like Goliath or are we going to stand like David? And David is where we all should be. Looking at that overmatch, looking at that giant and laughing in our own way, reminding the giant that he's got no chance because we are the children of the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts will not let his children be defeated. Again, we have to believe. And that all comes through the intimate and personal relationship in Christ and to the Father. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for all that you give. And we just, tonight, we want to just pray for the, that seeking of a true and intimate relationship with Jesus and to you, Father. We are such an amazing people because you made us that way. And in these times of trouble and in these times of confusion, it's so easy to listen to the narratives that are loud and obnoxious and demeaning and to start to internalizing it and starting to believe this garbage as if it's true. And it's sad. It's, a, it's, a, it's sad to witness how many actually embrace that. So, Father, we just pray tonight that it can be cast aside, that there can be the clarity for those that seek to see before them that opportunity to build a personal and deeply personal relationship, living, breathing, two-way relationship with Jesus and to you, Father. And with that experience and that encounter to realize just how great you are, And to realize how profound it is that we are here and what that entails. This was not supposed to be a vacation. It never was that. It was always a war for us to occupy and expand the kingdom. So, Father, if truth can be told, if truth can be settled on hearts, let that be so. That the reality of what we are here for, the true purpose and intent is set before us with the clarity of choices that we have to accept Christ in our heart fully or to walk a path, a wide gate that will lead to destruction. But perhaps, Father, in these prayers, if that clarity could be made with a visual understanding, 
very visceral understanding of what the consequences are. Perhaps as a nation, we would finally humble ourselves. And as a president that we have, perhaps he too would humble himself. And so we pray for that. To humble ourselves with our president before you. To seek repentance, to return and stand to the throne. And to dominate and conquer this evil. To take dominion over it as intended. And to restore this nation. One nation under you, Father. All united under the banner of Christ. Guide us and protect us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. It's not hard, but the easiest and most obvious things seem to be the most difficult in life to accomplish. Because we have to be true in our heart. I can tell you, patriots, that between this channel, which, by the way, I didn't even mention at the beginning, and I'll hit it again tomorrow, we just accomplished 30 million-plus downloads. We're over 30 million downloads. That's a gift from God. This channel has been blessed, and it, you don't see channels grow like this. It's because we're all focusing on the right thing. We're putting our eyes on Christ. We're seeking that, and that's a beautiful thing. And if we truly, as a nation, could put our eyes there and hold them there, it's so easy. Stuff ends. So we're going to start talking in the coming weeks about a week upcoming, probably late in October, to call for a time in every state, in as many communities that will listen, to have a day, to have hours, whatever it takes, to come together, to pray, to seek that beauty of Christ in our lives, and to pray for this nation to restore itself to, to the feet of Father. Before the election, and to get every state involved, we'll talk more about it coming up, but this has to be. And with that, hopefully we can move mountains as I think we can. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. And just to footnote what I said a minute ago, this isn't just for the states. This is a prayer to returning with eyes on Christ for everybody that's listening. That includes every country, every province in Canada. This is us coming together under the banner of Christ, which we must do. And this is the time. And what's interesting is how many other pastors and people I've talked to are hearing the same call. So again, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. Truly thank you. What a beautiful family we have. Good night. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too All the nights been pushing through Fight for all we had to lose Reaching out for something To pull us up to level ground Oh, I can see it now I can see it now
sun sets down over the hill where the lost got found. Reaching through somehow, oh, you're an island when the world is too loud. When the seasons change, I know the space between us will stay the same. Resting on this faith, when your soul answers calls far away. Thank、you.